Hey y'all, welcome to Water Break. It's Thursday. Advent season, I hope, is live and rocking at your house. Um, it's It's been a little not so rocking at my house this week. Everyone's been kind of not rocking for the water boy this yeah, week. Yeah, everyone's been a little sick, especially me. Uh, we need the Christmas spirit back at our house. Big time. He's driving the porcelain bus this week. <laughs> it's it, it's very touchy. Uh, folks, I've been thinking about this since we started cross politic, and I think it's become even more relevant than when I first uh, thought of it in 2016. As Christians, we need to form a business network. I really think we need to figure this out. Christians need to figure out how to do business with Christians with PayPal canceling, canceling people, MailChimp canceling people, Stripe canceling, all these, you know, companies, banks can't canceling our friends and so forth. Um, uh, I want to figure out how we can bring Christian businesses together. And I would like to find a Christian owned bank to do business with, uh, you know, Christian server farm, a Christian owned hospital, um, and so forth. So I'm, we want to create a business network, kind of a business directory here at Fight Laugh Feast, uh, which will probably go in our club portal or something like that. I'm not quite sure how we're going to integrate it and introduce it to everybody. Uh, but if you own a business, go to flfnetwork.com forward slash business and just fill out that information. Um, we already have a couple hundred businesses that have already kind of put their information in there. Um, and uh, one of the things that I'm doing out of all this is I'm going to start a probably quarterly, monthly or quarterly call with CEOs. Um, starting in January, I got a bunch of, uh, I've already been talking to a bunch of CEOs about it and just kind of figure out how Christians can kind of network together. So go to flfnetwork.com forward slash business, put your uh, company in there and, and uh, we're going to figure out how to create this business network as we move forward and everything. So it's a, it. it's a good idea, John. It's an idea that time has come. Yes. Babe. Been, been far too long. Uh, how's too long. how's your week going, John? It sounds like it's been good. You sound a little more peppy than I am. I feel great. I feel way better. Yeah, yesterday from a friend out of the blue, a ventriloquist who's uh, got a touch of laryngitis, and when a ventriloquist Ooh. has laryngitis, that's that not that's no good. You can't throw he can't throw his voice, era. can he? <laughs> That means every everybody that comes out of the trunk also has laryngitis. So <laughs> he, he was asking me to uh, if I would ride along with him uh, and do do a little time so that he didn't have to carry the whole show himself. And so we did. And it was it was a hard. You know, a lot of people show virtually no glamour. You know, it's, it's just a job. It's an echoey sort of a barn. The lighting was terrible. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was hard to hear, and um, but you you get through it. And I was thankful for thankful for the opportunity. Wow! So you you actually traveled with them this last week then to do a couple gigs with them? Yeah, just yesterday. Oh, just yesterday. Just okay. yesterday. Yeah. Middle of the week. So and then I drove home. I drove part of the way home because he was uh, falling asleep at the wheel. So yeah. you know, was the, was his ventriloquist falling asleep at the wheel, or was he falling asleep at the wheel? Well, no, the dummies were already they were sound asleep in the trunks. They're <laughs> they're no help on the drive home. 
What's it? What's it like being friends with the ventriloquist? Are are they always like constantly doing voices? I mean, I, I, does he have a lot well, of voices in his not. head? No, this one's not. He's he's uh, his name's David Pendleton, and he's okay. he is an outstanding ventriloquist. You know, I, I, when we've been friends for a long time, and oh. I'm I, I'm probably biased, but I'm saying this as somebody who has paid attention to comedians because, or to ventriloquists because he's a friend of mine. Yeah. But you do not see his lips move and he can make B sounds and P sounds and wow. M sounds, all the sounds that are hard to make without moving your lips. Oh. And you do not see the move. It's wow. he's really good. Is, is he doing that like with his tongue inside his mouth, keeping his lips mm -hmm. still? Is that, that's how he's doing it? Yeah, it's all. It, it has to do with the way he moves his tongue, and he's tried to tell me how to do it before, and I. This is not happening. Yeah. I've, I. Having a little internet there, yeah, internet problems there. It, you're breaking up a little bit, John. It doesn't work, and so. so. While your while your internet is catching up with us, I'm gonna jump into my cannonball for the week. Um, so, and this week got me thinking because you know I've, I've been sick. I've been under the weather. Um, uh, my, my 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 all my kids have had some sort of ailment this week. You know, it's Advent season, and uh, you know, kind of a, a not a very fun way to celebrate Advent season. Everyone kind of sick a little bit. So, but it got kind of got me thinking about um, the sovereignty of God in in trials. I was actually talking to a friend this week on the phone about about this too, and. And, um, you know, how do we reconcile God's sovereignty over everything and, and the various trials that we go through? And some, some people, God puts through really intense trials. I just found out, um, was it last Sunday? I think it was, or Saturday. Um, my friend uh, in Minnesota, uh, they're, you know, him and his wife, I mean, they're, um, not newly married, but they just had their first kid, so they're they're young in their marriage and had their first kid. And um, well, they found out that she has stage four liver cancer too. So just have a, not even a one year old, and it, and it's likely that um, she's going to die from this. It doesn't look good, you know. So how how do we reconcile you know God's sovereignty and a situation where this young mother? Uh, will never see her, you know, child turn one years old, potentially. Uh, how do we reconcile God's sovereignty with um, someone who goes through intense persecution or um, a, a woman who's um, kidnapped and sold into to the sex trade? You know, how do we reconcile God's sovereignty with all these uh, situations? And I think you know, we all the you know we got to start back at the garden with this story. When Adam and Eve fell, um, you know we rebelled. We brought sin into this world, um, and God didn't bring sin into this world. We brought sin into this world. Um, we often kind of related to this uh, issue of God's sovereignty. We we often ask the question: Did God create evil? But we never ask the question, did God create good? And I, th I think the reason um, why we only ask, did God create evil, is because I think we think about good and evil. That, that, that shows that we think about good and evil wrongly. When we're asking the question, you know, did God create evil, 
um, I we we're looking at evil like it's some sort of goo, like it's some sort of I don't know bubble gum or something, you know, something right. something that God could create, and and that's you know that's not what good or evil is. You aren't walking in good goo, and you aren't walking in bad goo. Um, you know, uh, we're walking in the light or walking in darkness. Um, and when we have, uh, when we look at the world, we look at what God created and then we look at Adam and Eve, we look at our sin and our rebellion. Um, God's sovereignty should actually become a comfort to us because either the, 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 you know, my, 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 my friends in Minnesota, either they're going through this trial with a God who's not sovereign and can't help them, or they're going through this trial with a God who's sovereign over everything and knows how to turn that evil into good for her life, for her daughter's life, for her husband's life. Um, now, we might not be able to know all the answers at the time. We not, might, might not be able to make sense of it all at the time. In fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things that belong to the Lord and there's then things that are revealed will be revealed to the sons of men. And so we do know that there are secret things that belong to the Lord. We aren't going to be able to answer all the questions, but we also know that God does reveal stuff to us. He does reveal things to us. So there are things that we can know. And so... Uh, when we look at the sovereignty of God, it should be a comfort to us in these trials and these intense situations. And I do believe that those who go through intense trials here on earth and faithfully go through those intense trials here on earth, I believe God has intense blessing for them in heaven waiting. Um, so I don't think any of this is, you know, just random God's random sovereignty kind of coming down on us in our lives. Now, uh, and related to to God's sovereignty and all this, we know that God works all things to good um, to those who love Him, even even the bad things. Um, and and so God is even able; He's so sovereign over everything that He can even take the bad things and turn them into good for us. Um, you know, a, a helpful way of I think of understanding God's sovereignty and evil, or God's sovereignty and in, in, in intense trials is um, kind of looking at uh, my pastor uses this analogy um, very, uh, very very helpful analogy kind of look at Shakespeare and Hamlet Shakespeare wrote Hamlet and in Hamlet Hamlet had all sorts of freedom free will free choices to to kill his uncle or not kill his uncle um, and Shakespeare wrote the story and Hamlet killed his uncle um, and that and, and, and that's Shakespeare's sovereign over Hamlet and he writes the story and the only way for Hamlet to be free to do anything is because uh, Shakespeare's writing the story in the first place and in the same way God write, is writing our story and and we have freedom within the context of, of the author of who's writing that story and, and he's sovereign over it all and if God doesn't write I, I, I cease to exist um, I, I'm done. If God's done writing my story, I'm done. So the more God writes, the more um, freedom I, within the context of God in his authorship I have. Um, and, and God is an author who's able to write me in such a way that all the good and all the bad, he can direct all that stuff in such a way because he's sovereign and he's writing it all. And, you know, John 1, 1 is really helpful. The first couple of verses of John. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And so we know 
that that's echoing creation. We know that Jesus was at the beginning of creation, and we and we know that John one is basically um, uh, John's telling us that hey, the 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 world is being recreated in Jesus now, and he's the spoken word. And as he speaks, you live. So the more God speaks, the more I breathe. Once God stops speaking, I stop breathing. That's how sovereign God is over everything. And and as he speaks, I can live. And so you think of the, God as our author, and we're the char- various characters in his book, and as he writes, we live. And that um, uh, the common question that kind of comes up in all these conversations is, well, how do you reconcile free will and sovereignty and God's sovereignty? How do you reconcile free will and God's sovereignty? Um, Right. I believe I believe as Charles Spurgeon said uh, was asked that question, and he said, "Well, I, I don't um, have to reconcile friends. Um, uh, God's sovereignty and and man's free will are at are at friends with one another, not at odds with one another." And so, but I think what that also reveals is that we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what free will is. We don't really have genuine, true free will. Unless we're saved. Non-Christians don't have free will. They're bound in their chains. They're bound. Uh, they're unable to do good. They're unable to follow God. It's it's when you're saved is when you actually have genuine free will to live out faithfully under the Lordship of Christ. Um, think, you know, God did this to a lot of characters in Scripture. But you, you think of Apostle Paul. And you think uh, the story that God wrote uh, uh, Apostle Paul, I mean, he wrote, he put him through all sorts of awful things. You know, shipwrecks, stone, he's stoned multiple times, uh, you know, died or almost died multiple times. Um, I mean, God really put Apostle Paul through the ringer. And Apostle, Apostle Paul wrote all the sovereignty, you know, text that I'm, I'm referring to. You, God works all things to good to those who love him. Uh, you know, Apostle Paul wrote, you know, kind of all the texts about the potter and the clay. And, and he, you know, Paul knew very well what it meant that God was sovereign. And and Paul knew very well that it, what it meant when bad things happened to him, that God was sovereign over them all. And, and that God wasn't like... Um, inco- an incompetent God or an, uh, a God who is unable to deliver him from those, from those pains or from the rocks or from the stonings or from the shipwreck. Right. So uh, the apostle Paul knew very well that God, what God's sovereignty and what free will meant to him. And he lived it out faithfully. And apostle Paul was a kind of a character like Hamlet where it's like, um, you know, he was put through the ringer and here we are in December celebrating Christmas, the incarnation. You know, the word became flesh and we, and I think it's very appropriate to be talking about the sovereignty of God and trials in this month, because we know that ultimately God poured out all his wrath on his son for our good. God poured out, you know, that the, the most perfect, most righteous character in all of scripture was Jesus become flesh. And yet God poured out the worst upon him on the cross. And so, and, and God was sovereign over all that. And God did that so that we could be forgiven of our sins. If Jesus never would have gone to the cross for us, we never would have been forgiven. Our, our, we would still be living in our sins. 
And so the cross is the ultimate, you know, intersection between God's sovereignty and trials, God's sovereignty and, and free will. And so, uh, God sent Jesus to take on all our evil, take it all on our shoulders, to die with it, to get rid of it, to cleanse us from all our iniquity so we could be forgiven, uh, and, and be restored into fellowship with, with, um, the triune God. So the sovereignty, sovereign, God's sovereignty and, and trials, I think that's, this is an issue that, um, it's a comfort for Christians to know that God is sovereign over everything. It's a comfort for Christians to know that God's sovereign over my trials, that God is sovereign over, you know, the death of, of my father in 2012. And, you know, God's sovereign over um, uh, the miscarriage me and my wife had for our first child. Um, you know, to know that God's sovereign over all that and that we are, we're serving, we don't serve a God who's disconnected and, uh, and unable to stop that evil from happening. That's not that's not the God we serve. We serve a God who's um, all powerful, all sovereign, and over it all, and is so he's so sovereign, he's able to work all those trials, all those intense trials that we experience and go through for our good. That's how sovereign he is. And so we should be finding comfort in God's sovereignty and and um and not fighting it like sometimes I think we we want to fight it when we go through some hard hard challenges. So, uh, any thoughts on that, John? Well, I think. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Rock and roll. I think that the thing that bothers a lot of people when you talk about the sovereignty of God is, um, well, what what's happened with me is I've been accused of giving God the glory for all of the good things quote unquote that happen and not giving god any of the blame for the quote unquote bad things that happen and uh i agree with you that that god if god stops speaking i stop existing i've i've said before if god stops thinking about me you know then i don't exist anymore and so the idea that i i don't believe that i was you know knit together and then launched through the birth canal and then every now and then God checks in on me. Right. I think that he sustains every beat of my heart and every breath, every breath that I take. Right. Um, that being said, I do think, and I don't understand, I don't understand how this is possible, but I do think that there is a, a me that is separate from, from God's essence, from consciousness, from life that God gives us. All life comes from God because he is life. Right. But somehow he is able to disassociate that part of his life from himself so that it becomes uh, me. It becomes, you know, mine, for yeah. lack of a better term. John, yeah. Yeah. And then what I do with that is is up to me. He, he's given me, I, I agree with you, evil is not this thing that just floats around out there and uh, and sometimes affects us evil is what we do that is contrary to what god would have us do or what god right. you know would do if he was still in charge of the consciousness that he's loaned it he's loaned to me um and so in that in that way um i do i do think that god um i do think that god is big enough and sovereign enough to quote take the blame for evil 
Yeah. Um, because as soon as we say, well, this is a bad thing, this is a, I've got liver cancer, that's a bad thing. We're kind of um, ascending above our pay grade uh-huh. because if, if I'm not, I'm not really good at understanding what goodness is. I'm not really good at perpetuating goodness. And so it's a little, it seems a little of a stretch for me to think that I really recognize what evil is. Uh I mean, there's things that I don't like. There's things that I don't personally care for, but I don't think that it's accurate for me to say, well, this is an evil thing just because it's something that I don't like. Um, if, if God is sovereign, I can, like you said, I can rest in the fact that God understands fully what's going on here. And if, if I'm misunderstanding it as a good thing or an evil thing, you know, God will, that's where his grace will step in and sort all that out. Right. Well, a basic definition of, of what evil is would be that which displeases God, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, that, that which displeases God. And, And we, and the, you know, the secret things belong to the Lord, but there's things that are revealed that are made known to man. And and we have God's word. So we know we have a good concept through God's word, what he sees as good and what he sees as evil. And so we're able to, now I agree with you, you know, we, we know that cancer is a result of the fallen world. We know that cancer is a result of sin. And well, death, right. All death is all, all death is. And, and we know when a, when you have a broken leg, we know that that okay, your leg shouldn't be broken. We know what a normal leg should look like, um, and the same for we know what a normal liver should look like. It shouldn't have cancer all over it, and so um, God created the world in such a way um, that it was all perfect. And when sin entered to the world, into the world, well, it brought in. Uh, it, it broke all 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 the things. <laughs> it broke it broke creation. It broke. Um, our, our seasons, it broke our, uh, uh, the human race, it broke the animals, it, it, you know, everything's, um, broken. And so, uh, and we know that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God's making all things new again. And, um, that is, uh, you know, the, the, the comfort is in with us, with all this sin and all this brokenness, that God is writing this story in such a way where he's sovereign over all, over all of it and that he's, he's dealing with it. And you know, the other, the other option is either God's sovereign or he's not. And if he's not sovereign, then he can't really fix your problems. He can't, the bad stuff that's happening in your life. He is, he's not even able to turn it into good for you. And that's a bad, that's a bad place to be. If, if you're a Christian. Well, yeah, I, I think that if you have a, if, if we're going to say that, that evil if, if the definition of evil is something that displeases God, then um, then obvi- then it doesn't work to say that that cancer is evil because because obviously it doesn't displease God, at least not to the point where he's where he's taking cancer away. He hasn't cured cancer yet. Mm-hmm. And so as far if you want to talk about his will being that which uh, which pleases him, I, I think that I, I agree that the world is broken because of sin. Right. Um, but strictly speaking, it is it is God's will that it be broken at least until He decides to fix it. Right. And so it, again, that's where the, my understanding comes in, and I go, "Well, this is an evil thing," but but His ways are higher than my ways, and yep. I don't understand yet how it's it, it's entirely my my faith tells me that someday. 
we're going to look at cancer and we're going to go, oh, that's why. That's why there was cancer. Right. Because here's this great thing that God was, that kept a secret from us. But this is why cancer exists, um, because God was going to do something great with it. Right. But we didn't, we don't know what that is because because we're not as smart as God. Uh, we, we don't, we're not, we're not as smart as God. Yeah. We see it. And we, I mean, you can apply this to, I mean, the 2000 years of church history. I mean, when, uh, you know, um, I mean, just the, the, the teeth that we're now able to fix our, our dental hygiene is a lot better. I mean, we, you know, yeah. God is, uh, built the world in such a way where we, grow over time the church is a mustard seed it grows over time i think we we figure some of these things out i i i think you know isaiah uh what is it isaiah so i'm gonna butcher it maybe 65 uh, somewhere in isaiah it says uh um, that if uh, if you die at the age of 100 years old um you will be cursed you know so at some point in human history the the age uh the life expectancy is going to be over 100 years old and if you die before that everyone's gonna be like you know what's wrong what what did god what was the problem with this guy right and so i i do think there's going to be some serious medical advances over time and we know that that cancer is the result of a fallen world it's broken but we also know that god um, when these things happen as christians we look at it in faith and say god's doing something god's moving in this and he's going to work it to my good. Um, and, and I don't know all the time. I, I don't have the answer for all of that, right. um, of what that good looks like, but I know he's working it for my good and I can right. rest in him for that. You said something earlier about, uh, pagans or people that outside of God don't know how to, how, how to do good. Um, and I, I agree with that, but I also think more significantly, the, the people, without a theistic worldview, if people don't believe in God, they can't make sense of evil. I mean, yeah. evil itself becomes incoherent. Well, I mean, who's to say what's, if, if there's no God, if there's no standard for some, for righteousness and goodness, then everything that happens to us, whether you, whether we're burned up in a fire or whether our village gets washed away in a flood or we get cancer, it's just what is it's not it's neither good nor bad it's it's neutral and so the whole a person who who doesn't believe in god has no framework to say oh this thing that's happening to me is a tragedy it's a bad thing it's like well where are you getting that from your 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 life is a tragedy compared to what yeah um and it it doesn't make any sense right and and this brings us to um i got i got a new segment for for John Brannion here. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, this segment is called News That John Brannion Can Trust. News That John Brannion Can Trust. Yeah. It's very specific. And I am a very, very skeptical person. So this is going to have to be. <laughs> can you, can you trust this? I need, I need to get like some music that like can capture news that John Brannion can trust. I kind of expected you would have that already, but. All right, so the, so this last week, um, and this is all true, real news, but it's it's it, I trust it, it you. leaves a lot of questions. I trust you. Um, this last week, this guy robs a bank. He goes into Wells Fargo, robs a bank, and and only robbed it for one hundred fifty dollars. It wasn't. 
I, 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 you know, if I go rob a bank, I'm not just, I don't need just $150. 150 bucks. Did you have, was that specifically on the note? You know, give me not all the money in the drawer, <laughs> but $150. This is in Wilmington, Delaware. He goes in, robs the bank. And then he walks outside and goes to the outside ATM at Wells Fargo, where he robbed the bank, and deposits the money into his account. <laughs> so he he goes in, robs it 150 bucks, goes outside and deposits in the uh, and deposits it right back into the bank. Yep. And then and then the <laughs> cops find him later um, hiding out. Where well, let's see, where was he hiding out at? Um. um like a, oh, like a nearby shopping center with um, his Wells Fargo debit card in his pocket. <laughs> in his possession, sure. Sure. He, I, well, think, I think he's pretty guilty, you know. It's a, uh, you know, it's it's one thing. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's sort of a mixed, mixed lessons there. It's, it's bad to rob a bank. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't steal. But it's good to... Uh, put money in savings, right? <laughs> well, so did he put it in a savings account or just his regular checking? Uh, I don't know if it's yeah. a, there, there's advantages too to having a uh, a bank account or a debit card where you can have access to those funds. Maybe he maybe <laughs> for he the next bank go, you're going to go rob. <laughs> right, he's going to go. He's going to go pull on another heist, and he might have needed some equipment, and he was going to need to have access to that hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. And so that's why he, it's cumbersome. You, you can lose cash. You know, he yeah. could have gotten robbed. He, he knew that. He could have. He knew that. He, <laughs> he was <laughs> who better than a bank robber knows that you can be robbed. That's right. Cash. That's right. So he probably for his own protection, put it into the account. I, I get it. I, I'm, I, I get kind of thumbs up, thumbs up to the, uh, putting it in the account, thumbs down to robbing it from somebody else's account. <laughs> All right, news that John Brandian can trust. Um, I don't know if you followed this this last week, but this was actually pretty hilarious. Elizabeth Warren tweets out. She says this. She says, let's change the rig tax code so the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else. Do you know who Time's person of the year was? Was it Elon Musk? Yes. Yes. So she said, let's change the rig tax code. Yeah, he's a freeloader. Well, Elon, who's one to happily debate these things. Yeah, he's happy to go do combat on Twitter. He first responded to her saying, stop projecting. uh, And he um, included a link to an article where it talked about Elizabeth Warren being a fraud. Um, and her lies about being native Native American, right? So good, okay. But he didn't <laughs> stop there. Um, but it, it's it's just always already funny that you know she's basically saying he's a fraud by not paying taxes, and he responds with "You're a fraud." And then he said in a follow up tweet, "You remind me of when I was a kid, and my friend's angry mom would just randomly yell at everyone for no reason." Well, that that's pretty <laughs> funny. But but here's here's the kicker. And then, and then he responded to that and said, "Please don't call the manager on me, Senator Karen." <laughs> so he called, he called Elizabeth Warren Karen, Senator Karen. Uh, I have there is so much, so much envy and jealousy 
in <laughs> our culture. You know, people yeah. who, people who she's already a, a multimillionaire, isn't she? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, yep. she's, uh-huh. I mean, she's not hurting. Um, no. And it, it's just as fascinating to me that all of these people, no matter how much they have, keep pointing at other people and saying, yeah, well, that person has more and that makes them bad. Yep. I just, I don't get it. I, I don't, I don't get the, the lack of gratitude for, you know, all you've been given. Well, and I think, I think Elon's going to end up paying. I, I, I looked at, I looked this up and I think it was going to be about $10 billion in taxes. He's going to pay this year. So, well, that, that's the other thing, depending on how it's structured, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these guys don't have any personal income, right? You know, a lot of billionaires make zero, right? As far as income goes, right? Because their assets are all distributed throughout their various holdings and businesses, and and, companies, and everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's the reason that they're billionaires is because right. they know how to handle money. Yeah. Well, he's still okay. So he's still going to pay about ten billion in taxes. And so he responded uh, again in this thread. He said, "And if you open your eyes for two seconds, you'd realize I." I will pay more taxes than any American in history this year, which is true. I think, I think um, his tag of ten billion is the most any Americans ever paid so far to date. And and he and then he followed up the tweet and said, "Don't spend it all at once. Oh wait, you already have." <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, it's it's so. I, I was writing about minimum wage. I did some combat with some people online about minimum wage, okay. and it is amazing to me how many people think that that they're owed a minimum wage yeah. and it should be, yep. you know, right now it's $15 an hour, but they, but they genuinely think that, that they're owed that money right. by, you know, by who, whoever is giving them a job. And it's yep. astounding. And yep. apparently Elizabeth Warren, who's is a lifelong government people. worker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, people like Elizabeth Warren are telling them that they deserve $15 an hour. So Joy Reid got involved in this back and forth Twitter spat. I don't know if you know who Joy Reid is. I do. And that um, probably didn't raise the IQ level even one point. No, it? no, it got worse. Um, yeah. Musk insulted Senator Warren, calling her an angry mom and referring to her as Senator Karen. So for so many reasons, being a freeloader and a selfish, disrespectful one, and for misappropriating black vernacular for misogynistic purposes, <laughs> Elon Musk is the absolute worst. What? Where's the black vernacular? I don't know. Angry is mom, it, Senator Karen. You're. How am I supposed to know what the I, black vernacular? Is? I don't. I don't know. But I also got to kind of thinking about this. Elon. Elon Musk is. From South Africa, so he is African American. Okay, yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. He is. There's a there's a lot of white African Americans. Yeah, and and so I don't know if he's really misappropriating anything, but I was, it's just hilarious <laughs> that that she calls this misappropriating black vernacular. I don't even know. I don't. I can't even make sense of what she's actually referring to there. I I trust that. I think that's the other thing that's popular in the culture is to pay no attention to what a person says, but be completely obsessed with who said it um, and their, their gender, their, their skin color. Um, and, and that's, that's the only, that's the only detail that we care about now. It's not, I don't care about your idea. I just right. care about your skin color or your gender. You know, when you, when you're, 
expressing your idea. Well, I don't know why you'd get in a back and forth with Elon Musk, and then especially bringing misappropriation and those kind. Of, I mean, like Elon just took down Senator Warren in a second, you know, and then you're going to come in and say you're misappropriating. <laughs> well, to call him a freeloader. I mean, yeah, how, exactly. do you, how do you? You don't amass. What has he got? Two hundred billion dollars now. Two hundred fifty billion dollars. <sighs> he's more than bill. He's got to be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how what his wealth is, but it's a couple hundred billion dollars. Okay. But after you get after you get to a billion dollars, does it matter? I mean, when you. I mean, I think after you get to like you know three million dollars or something, it stops matter. Depending <laughs> I mean, on your lifestyle, yeah. <laughs> if you're you got three million dollars. What's another right? What's another billion? All right. So the COVID craze um, hasn't stopped with us. Um, we are now training dogs to sniff out COVID in people's socks. <laughs> yep. Thank heavens. This is happening in, in California. Um, dogs are being trained to sniff COVID from socks. But I mean, is the is the dog wearing a mask? I mean, is well, that thought, is that bad for the dog? I that's that's one question. But I thought <laughs> that COVID, I thought that COVID was a thing that came out of your nose and mouth. That's why we were wearing masks. What, what are they sniffing our socks for? And if the COVID is collecting in our socks, why don't we just? Why don't we just? We've been wearing socks through this whole thing. It's probably like that that kind of drug dog kind of thing. Like the viral load, just you know, you're standing up and it just kind of sheds down, like into your socks, and and that's how they they train the dogs to sniff the socks. Is it working? Do they give any stats about how successful it's been? Let me see. Like that's the, a, that's a good question. Let me uh, like the dogs are ninety percent, ninety nine percent. Yeah. Let me see. Fifty percent, because I think I could probably be fifty percent if I. <laughs> well, the odds are fifty-fifty, right? Yeah, <laughs> I I mean, that's just, just the basic odds. I um, think I could achieve if, unless they're significantly higher than what I can do, just flipping a coin. I'm so, gonna, so according, so this is the health department in California that's doing this. And, and they said um, COVID-19 sniffing dogs have shown success in airports and sports venues. They have not been yet tried in school uh, in schools. Wow. Success in airport. Can you, can you imagine yourself, a dog comes and sniffs your foot and then they say, okay, we're going to have to detain you because this dog thinks that you have COVID. Yeah. Can you imagine how that would, how that would play out if you're, trying to board a plane to go to some important destination for some important reason and the and dog, dog shuts you down yeah yeah, a dog shuts you down and then because you because you know it's not going to be a hundred percent there's yeah. no way yeah. it's going to be a hundred percent they can test 300 people an hour so they can you know dogs can sniff about 300 <laughs> people an hour <laughs> wow fantastic fantastic i unless I'm I'm super suspicious of that. I just I can't. Well, it's real news. It's it's news that John Brady can trust. Well, I can I trust that it I trust that it's real news, but I I'm suspicious that it's a good idea. Yeah. To put dogs in charge of. I mean, why not cats? I mean, can't you can you teach cats? I mean, 
Uh, I don't. That's I mean, a good question. Can you train cats or birds? Birds to sniff. I don't think birds have really good sense of smell. I think birds have better eyesight. You could train a bird to to, to see maybe COVID, spot COVID viruses <laughs> on your a hawk up at the yeah. airport <laughs> and he, the he dives bo- he dive bombs you <laughs> ladies and gentlemen before you board the plane you're gonna have to tip your noses up towards the sky and let the covid hawk <laughs> dive bomb you if you have nostrils. you know if the hawk dive bombs you you have covid yeah if he claws your face <laughs> step to the side you're good step to the side that's right man all right lastly lastly biden tries to talk smack to republicans about midterms and and screws it up pretty bad he he's at the he's doing the speech and he this is what he said get ready ball you're gonna in for a problem get ready ball yeah you're gonna in for a problem yep that's what he said in his speech. He's talking. He's referring to the Republicans and referring to the midterms, the twenty two and he, the twenty twenty two midterms, and uh-huh. that was his his uh, trash that talk. That was his his trash talk. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I I don't trust polls, um, so I don't really I don't necessarily trust polls, but just taking a temperature of the way the things are sort of shaking out. Yep. I can't imagine that that people are. I can't imagine that the midterms are going to go well for the Democrats. I don't know. I guess I. I guess it depends on how how naive I am about the general stupidity of the voting public. His his favorability um, is right now. Um, he's polling in like the thirties. Yeah. Like it's it's this is for presidents. That's like that's like bottom of the barrel. Well, he's only been in office for what? A year and year? a half? Not even a year. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, it, it's not looking good. And and when you trash talk like that, it's just it's not it's gonna make it worse. Right. It, because that's just gonna be a soundbite that's gonna come back, you know, and and haunt you. It's better. It's better if you think you're in good shape to say nothing. It's better. It's better not to trash talk. There's a proverb about that. Yeah. But I. But um. So I think, yeah, I think if Joe Biden wouldn't say anything, he'd be better off. But if if you are going to trash talk, at least have some good <laughs> trash talk, you know, because at least, you know, it's like when you're on the playground and you kind of, you know, got the bullies around you and, and you right. say this kind of stuff. It's like you just kind of get a little more disrespected. Like if you actually had something funny to say or some good trash talk, then the everyone's like, all right, all right. He's opened himself up to trash talk about his trash talk. <laughs> yeah. And that's not where you want to be. That's... You want to you want to say something that's going to shut everybody down. You want everyone to go, oh, and then look to the Republicans like, how are you going to respond to that? But that, <laughs> his statement is like, it doesn't even need a response. Yeah, it's like uh, just, not, not, even, not even close. Not even close. It doesn't, yeah. All right. Hey. Are, are we sure he was trash talking? Are we sure he wasn't yes. trying to pay them a compliment? No, he was, he was trash talking. Okay. hundred percent. Comedian next door, John Brandon. Good to be with you. Have a Merry Christmas, man. We'll, we'll be out for the next uh, two weeks. We'll be back water break in January, first week in January. So, uh, you know, hold on tight. Hold. You can put it together for two weeks. All right. Hold on. Without us. Try, try to muddle through without us <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Uh, enjoy your, enjoy the Christmas. Enjoy your family. Spend time with family. Amen. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and God's got this, right? God is God is sovereign over all of this. That's right. Amen. So.
All right. Thank you, guys. Well, until next time, love God and go fight, laugh, and feast. Mm.